It's a joy to be gathered in God's house with God's people studying God's Word again this morning. I would like you to ponder uh, this quote at the beginning of this message. If home is where the heart is, then what we love determines where we will be most steadfast. I'll repeat it. If home is where the heart is, then what we love determines where we will be most steadfast. This is a weekend when our nation is celebrating our country's birthday, you could say. There's a lot of patriotism happening this weekend and going into the week. A lot of allegiance is being pledged to the country and to the flag. And yet, dear people, God has called His people to march to a different beat. And this morning we would like to think about allegiance. I've titled this message, Loyal to the Captain. And I invite you to 2 Timothy chapter 2 for a springboard to the message this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul is writing to young Pastor Timothy and challenging him to be a good soldier in the warfare that is raging, spiritually speaking. Verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That's the key verse for this morning that we'd like to go with us throughout this sermon. Verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Loyal to the captain. Ponder this quote by A.W. Tozer. In the early days when Christianity exercised a dominant influence over American thinking, men conceived the world to be a battleground. Our fathers believed in sin and the devil and hell as constituting one force. And they believed in God and righteousness and heaven as the other. These were opposed to each other in the nature of them forever in deep, grave, irreconcilable hostility. Man, so our fathers held, had to choose sides. He could not be neutral. For him it was life or death, heaven or hell. And if he chose to come out on God's side, he could expect open war with God's enemies. The fight would be real and deadly and would last as long as life continued here below. Men looked forward to heaven as they returned from the wars, a laying down of the sword to enjoy in peace the home prepared for them. And then he goes on to say, how different today. The fact remains the same, but the interpretation has changed completely. Men think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. We are not here to fight. We are here to frolic. We are not in a foreign land. We are at home. End quote. I ask you this morning, where is your allegiance? What about you? (coughs) To whom or to what are you loyal? A good soldier of Jesus Christ is marked by unswerving allegiance to the captain, to Jesus Christ. But sadly, that is not always clear in many lives 
of professing Christians today. Uh, There is confusion over who is calling the shots. Uh, Sometimes outwardly, there is the look of a soldier. But inwardly, there are the attitudes of a rebel. And let me just say, dear people, that the church today is under fierce attack and is struggling not only due to severe pressure from the outside, but also due to too many half-hearted soldiers on the inside. It reminds me of what D.L. Moody had to think about this. I read some time ago that the great evangelist D.L. Moody didn't want his soloist Ira Sankey to sing the song Onward Christian Soldiers because he felt that the church he saw was very unlike an army. And this is what he said. If the average military man on our side in World War II had behaved toward his captains and their orders the way the average Christian behaves towards the Lord, we probably would have lost the war. And so someone has suggested that maybe it would be better for us to sing backwards, Christian soldier. (laughs) Sounds sort of funny. But I say, shame on us. Shame on us. Because for the Christian, wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ that is expressed in a daily surrender to Him is the only acceptable response to the indescribable love and mercy that God has so wonderfully and freely poured out upon our lives. And so we sing, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It demands everything from me. In fact, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything you have. That's in my own words. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. I wonder if we don't too often consider that one of the greatest suggestions and not the greatest commandments. How would that change our lives? How would that change our relationships? How would that change our churches and in our communities if we took that to heart as truly the greatest commandment to love God with everything we have? And so this morning, I would like for us to note four marks of loyalty. And when I say marks, I'm talking about distinguishing traits. I'm looking at characteristics of loyalty, and they are surrender, sacrifice, self-denial, and service. Someone has said that we lack something in church today more than loving. We lack dying. In other words, we lack wholehearted surrender. You know, the foundation of surrender is dying to self and choosing absolute loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I say... Dear people, that is not only the foundation for wholehearted surrender, but it is where effective fighting that results in consistent victory begins. (laughs) That's where it begins. You can never expect to experience consistent victory in the daily battles of life if you have not fully and wholly surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ, if He is not Lord of everything. In your life. In fact, success hinges on surrender. Turn to John chapter 12 and let's see what Jesus had to say about this. John chapter 12, and we'll start at verse 23. But the context here is that Jesus is in Jerusalem, and this is just a few days prior to the cross. And Jesus had just come through the city in what we refer to today as the triumphal entry. Now, it was triumphal, I guess, for some. 
But Jesus had a bit of a different take on it. But the crowds and the disciples were thinking along the themes of deliverance, freedom, victory, deliverance from the Roman rule. They were thinking about Jesus setting up an earthly kingdom, about him being king. And they were celebrating that. But right on the heels of that, you know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about brokenness. He's talking about surrender to the will of the Father. John 12, 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Here we go. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn or a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, we would like to notice several things in these few verses here. In this passage, we have an illustration, and then we have a challenge. And then we have an example. Now, the illustration is of a seed. The challenge is for you and me. An example, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in verse 24, we have the illustration of a seed. And if you know anything about gardening or farming, if you know anything about seeds, you can understand this. Jesus is making this plain and simple so that we can grasp it. But what is the key word in verse 24? It's die. It's die. You see, a seed has no real value unless it dies. And we spend a lot of money for seeds, especially farmers do. They spend a fortune on seed, knowing full well that that seed has to rot, has to die, in order for there to be a profit, a harvest. But that seed, that wee little seed, oh yes, there's life inside, but that life cannot spring forth. It cannot be released until that hard outer shell of the seed is cracked open. And that happens through the death of that seed. That's the illustration that Jesus is giving. But then he gives us a challenge. And we find this in verses 25 and 26. We have a choice to make. Will we choose to be comfortable in life? Or will we choose to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Comfortable or conformable? Which will you choose? You see, God has a great plan for your life. God has a great plan for me. Will you resist it? Or will you resign yourself to that plan? You can choose to be comfortable. And what comes along with that package? Well, loneliness. What does verse 24 say? Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. You can choose that. You can choose loneliness. You can choose to be selfish. You just want to remain to yourself. You don't want to expose yourself too much. You, want to, you don't want to give too much because you might get hurt. You, you can choose to be lonely. You can choose to be selfish. You can choose to be overly protective. But what comes along with that? Death. There is no life 
in choosing simply to be comfortable. Or you can choose to be conformable. To conform to God's plan for your life. To be resigned and submissive to His will for your life. And what comes along with that package? Well, the scripture says here that you will never be alone, but that you will always be with the Father. Where I am, verse 26, there shall also my servant be. You're not alone. You can also reap the rewards of fruitfulness. If it die, verse 24, it brings forth much fruit. You can also enjoy the favor of the Father. Verse 26, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. That's a part of the package of conforming, resigning, submitting to the father's plan for your life. And what is that all about? It's all about life. It's all about experiencing life. But then we have the example of Jesus in verses 27 and 28. And here in the King James Version the lack of punctuation can sometimes obscure the thrust a little bit. But bear with me as I try to bring that out a little bit better. But here in verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? He's asking a question. What shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I shall say? And he goes on to say, no, of course not. But for this cause came I unto this hour. This is exactly why I came to the earth. I came on a mission to do the will of the Father. To bring life to mankind. And so, I will not say, Father, save me from this hour. But instead I will say, verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. In other words, Your will be done, Father. Your will be done. What a beautiful example. Jesus Christ here followed through. He submitted to the will of His heavenly Father. Oh yes, He had a choice. He could have swerved the cross. The Bible says that He could have called twelve legions of angels, thousands upon thousands of angels, to come and deliver Him in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have, but He didn't. Why? Because He knew what was beyond the cross. He knew what the cross would mean, not only for Himself, but for all mankind, for you and me. He knew. For Himself, the Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, Who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew what that would mean for Him personally, but He also knew what that would mean for you and me. Our sins forgiven. A restored relationship with the Father. Peace in our hearts. Eternal life. And so I say his focus was on the other side of the cross. His focus was on what would be gained and not what would be lost. What a challenge that is to me in the moment of hardship. But let's zero in here on the, on the spiritual truth we have here. Jesus was using an object lesson to teach us something that is very important. And that is that a believer in many ways is just like a seed. When we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. There's life there. It's a beautiful thing. There's energy there. But unless the hard outer shell of our life is cracked and crushed, that life cannot freely flow out and effectively impact our lives and relationship for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only, dear people, that when we bow in full surrender to the Lord, calling Him the master of our lives, the captain of our lives, that we will find the power to live more like we pray. You know what I mean? We will find the power to live more like we pray. Let's move on to another mark of loyalty, and that is sacrifice. You know, at the heart of worship is the act of sacrifice. Is that not what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12? Brothers and sisters, in light of the great mercy that God has poured upon you, I urge you, I beg you 
to present your lives a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. At the heart of loyalty is sacrifice. Uh, We willingly sacrifice for what we deem, what we consider important. The story is told of a young soldier who came home from war, missing an arm. And as you can understand, his family and his neighbors, his friends, kind of rallied around him and gathered around him and and they sympathized with him. And they felt so sorry for him. And they said, I'm so sorry that you lost your arm. You know, I'm so sorry about that great loss. To which he snapped back, I did not lose my arm. I gave it for my country. Think about that. Maybe you've heard a similar thing. Maybe you've heard of someone who has returned from war and and they make it very clear that they did not lose anything, but they gave. They served. And they, in their, in their mind, there is much honor. There is much glory in that. Dear people, if a young man can proudly give his arm for his country, can't we as soldiers of Jesus Christ who are fighting the good fight of faith say that we are truly not losing anything when we surrender and sacrifice our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ? We are truly not losing anything. Someone has put it this way, that a faith that costs nothing is also worth nothing. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Let's see what Jesus has to say about sacrifice. And as you're turning there, we could also just uh, notice briefly what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. We won't turn to there. But Jesus made it clear that sacrifice is a test of discipleship. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says three times, you cannot be my disciple. What? You cannot be my disciple. But how did he qualify that? Unless you hate your family, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you forsake all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. That sounds awfully harsh, does it not? He he did not say, unless you're willing to consider these things. He did not say, unless you're willing... He said, unless you do, unless you do. You know, there are people who say up front that, yes, they're willing. But it doesn't take long to see that that willingness never really materializes into action. Jesus says, unless you hate your family... And let me just clarify, maybe you older ones understand that. For you younger ones, you're saying, hate my family? Jesus wouldn't say something like that. I'm supposed to love my daddy and mommy and brothers and sisters. Yes, let me explain very briefly. He is contrasting. He says your love for Jesus Christ, your commitment to Jesus Christ should be so great that all other loves, including the love for your daddy and mommy and brothers and sisters, should seem almost like hatred compared to your all superior love for Jesus Christ. But in Luke chapter 9, Let's start at verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. 
And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I ask you, what will you sacrifice out of loving allegiance to your captain, to the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you willing? (laughs) I shouldn't say that. I should say, what will you? What will you sacrifice out of loving allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? I I want us to briefly consider these three people here in this passage and what was more important to them than the call of Christ. I want you to notice that two of them said something that is impossible. The second and third person, they both said, Lord, me first. Lord, me first. That's a spiritual impossibility. Jesus Christ cannot be Lord of your life if He is not first place. Verse 59, the one said, But he said, Lord, suffer me first. 61, another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first. In another place, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? Let's notice these three people. The first one had a passion for comfort. A passion for comfort. Lord, I will follow thee wherever you go. And Jesus said, wait a minute. I want you to understand that the way of Jesus Christ, the way of a disciple, is not for the faint of heart. It doesn't promise a lot of money. It doesn't promise a five-star motel. In fact, he says, the foxes have their places to live, and the birds have their places, but I, I don't even really have a place that I can call home. Now, that's all we have of person number one. We don't have a response, but it is implied that they went on their way. It is implied that that was not good enough for them. You see, comfort, good living conditions, maybe plush carpets, that cozy bed, that meant an awful lot. If that wasn't promised, not sure they can follow through with that commitment. A passion for comfort. In the second person here, we see the precedence of a job. The precedence of job. Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said something very radical here. He said, let the dead bury their dead. But you, go thou and preach the kingdom of God. What is Jesus implying here? What is he saying here? My understanding is that Jesus is saying there are things in this life, there are jobs in this life that anyone can do. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. But you, you spend your time, you put your greatest effort into those things, into those jobs that make a difference for eternity. You see, you are not just one of those people out there. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't waste your time doing something that anyone else could do. You put your greatest effort into preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. And you say, well... How do I know if, if my job is doing that? How do I know if, if I'm within 
these boundaries that Jesus gives. Let me just say, if your job is keeping you from faithfulness to God's call in your life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then it's the wrong job. If your job is keeping you from that calling to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ and to preach the good news and to bless people and to call people to Jesus Christ, then it's the wrong job. I truly believe that our jobs, they must be an extension of our spiritual lives. They must be an extension of our wholehearted worship to God. They cannot be separate from that. It's not that we have church and spiritual life and that, and then over here we have our jobs and our hobbies and that. For the Christian, for the believer, it is a package. All that we do flows out of our allegiance and our commitment to Jesus Christ. The third here is in verses 61 and 62, and I call this the priority of family. The priority of family. Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. That sounds reasonable, does it not? Sure, go tell dad, mom, see you later. I don't know if I'll ever see you again. That sounds reasonable. We can agree with that, right? Whoa. Jesus saw a grave danger in that. Jesus saw a grave danger in that. Let me just give a scenario. You have someone that has felt a a sincere calling to serve God. Maybe far away. Maybe in another community. Away from dad and mom. Away from aunts and uncles. Away from grandpa and grandma. Away from family. But they say, I better go home and run this by them. And so they drive down the lane. And they see the pool. They see all the things that they enjoy. They see the disc golf baskets. They see the dogs on the front porch. Maybe dad and mom are on the swing crying. And in that moment, they start recanting. Excuse my emotions, but it just, we're soft. We're really soft here in the United States of America. You know, maybe there's a mom somewhere that says, you know, if Johnny, if he, if he goes off to Africa, it'll break my heart. Things will never be the same. Maybe there's that daughter that says, you know, if I go serve in Guatemala, I'll miss all the good, fun family things, the camp out. You know, our, our the things we always enjoyed doing as a family. And Jesus said, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me suggest that these three excuses, although they're quite old, yet they follow human beings around wherever human beings are found. 
I say these three excuses could still be some of the underlying reasons why we have such a hard time finding missionaries for the mission field. Why we have such a hard time finding teachers for our schools. Why we have such a hard time finding families to bless the church in Caswell or in West Virginia. Why are these places still struggling? Let me suggest that these three reasons, a passion for comfort, the precedence of job, and the priority of family, have often gotten in the way to the calling of Jesus Christ to sacrifice. And so I say, if there's anything in your life that consumes you more than your relationship and your commitment to Jesus Christ, then He is not Lord of your life. In fact, Jesus isn't Lord at all unless He is Lord of all. Let's look at another mark of loyalty, and that is self-denial. You want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Sure, yeah, I do. You want to have the power to claim consistent victory in your daily life? Absolutely, sign me up. That sounds great. I want more of that. Then learn to say no to self. Learn to say no to self. Practice a life of self-denial. It has been said to subordinate the lower nature to the higher, to be able to forego a present pleasure for a greater good, is a distinguishing mark of the highest type of character. Self-denial is essential to manhood, for to make one's life count demands sacrifice. For to make one's life count demands sacrifice. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Let's look at what Jesus had to say about this. For sake of time, we won't go into the context here as much. But we'll pick up at verse 24, where Jesus says unto his disciples in Matthew 16, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Dear people, loyalty to Jesus Christ requires at least four things. <laughs> and I notice those in verse 24. And that is, will, deny, take, and follow. We find it in those four words in verse 24. Will, deny, take, and follow. That word there, will, means by your own personal choice. It's a free will you choose to follow. If any man wills to come after me, you could put it that way. If he chooses voluntarily to come after me, that is foundational, I say, to loyalty. A volunteer decision. I choose... I am not being pressured into this. I am not walking down the aisle because my buddy walked down the aisle. I am not, you understand what I'm saying. I choose because the Spirit has moved me. I have felt the call of God and I choose to come after, to follow after Jesus Christ. That is foundational. And then there is a denying let him deny himself. Or another way to say that is disown. Let him disown himself. Let him affirm no connection to his self. 
that has the idea of renouncing self-dependence, renouncing self-pursuits. It's the same word, the same idea that we get when Peter denied Jesus Christ. And what did Peter say? I know not the man. He denied him. I know not the man. And we have that same thrust here. In order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you, as a believer, must say to yourself, I don't know that old man. I renounce that old man. I give him up. I crucify him. I have no affiliation with the old man. It's essential to your allegiance to Jesus Christ. And let him take up his cross. Let him embrace the journey, including the hardships that come along. Let him embrace the journey that comes along with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And let him follow me. That's the matter of imitation. Let him follow me. Let him imitate me. Let him walk in my steps. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. The Apostle Paul brings it out clearly in Romans chapter 8, where he, read, where he writes, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's verse 1. Verse 13 reads this way, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You notice those words, after? Walking after? Following after? What does that mean? It's all about who is on the throne of your life. It's all about who is calling the shots. Who is directing you? Something is directing and you're following. Paul makes it very clear. If your flesh, if your carnal nature is calling the shots in your life, that leads to death. But if you are following, if you are walking in step with the Holy Spirit, if you are being sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, if you are living in obedience to the word of God, that promises life. It's beautiful. It's all about, dear people, who is on the throne of your life. You know, people who are serious about being champions for Jesus Christ know what it means to make saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit a way of life. Yeah, it's not just a one-time thing, but they know what it means to make that a way of life. It's a daily decision. Lord, I choose you as my Savior, as my Master today. I want to walk in your ways today. And that becomes a way of life, day by day, moment by moment. Self-denial. One last mark for this morning. A mark of loyalty, and that is service. Show me a person who has a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I will show you a person who is actively serving in their church and community. The two are inseparable. And my mind goes to a young man up in the Shenandoah Valley that I know who has been such an example of this. In fact, a year or two ago when I was up there preaching at conference, he messaged me uh, one night after the service, and he said, I would like to meet you for breakfast tomorrow morning. Could you join me for breakfast tomorrow morning? And I said, that's, that's great. I'd love to. And so we met for breakfast, and this young teenager, uh, he didn't want to talk about sports. He didn't want to talk about hunting. He didn't want to talk about trucks or any of that stuff. 
He wanted to talk about Jesus Christ. He wanted to talk about evangelism. He wanted to talk about being pure as a young man. Those are what was on his mind. We talked about spiritual things the whole morning over breakfast. And I know that 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 young man is serving in various ways. And then here just recently, when two of my boys were up at youth conference, and uh, they weren't sure how to get back from... Bank Church, which is out in the country, to get from Bank Church back out to Interstate 81, this same young man said, just follow me. I'll take you out there. And so they followed this young man out there, a young man who has a servant heart, a young man who has a desire to be of value in the kingdom of God. That young man will go far in life with that perspective, with that desire. You know, selfless service is the outflowing of an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And when I say authentic, I mean it's real. It's not just a facade. But you have been changed from the inside out. Jesus Christ has has performed open heart surgery, as it were, on your life. You think different. You look different. You act different. Everything about you is different. You have a new heart now. You have a new hunger. You have new habits. Why? Because you have been changed from the inside out. You have had an authentic authentic salvation experience. Uh, See, you are no longer at odds with Jesus Christ, but you are now in fellowship with, with Him. There's harmony there. And I believe that when we have truly seen God, when we have experienced that cleansing work of salvation in our hearts and lives, it transforms our life's uh, vision and mission. Not only does it make us fit to serve, but it also compels us to serve. We would not have it any other way. But it is, once again, the outflowing service is the outflowing of an authentic salvation experience. Think of Isaiah. We read about him in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. It was that beautiful, amazing uh, picture there we have of his experience seeing God and seeing the glory of God. And in response to that, he said, Woe is me. I am undone. And I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it was out of that experience that Isaiah then said, Lord, use me. He heard the call of God. And he said, here am I, Lord, use me. We have a similar picture of Saul on his way to Damascus, where he was struck down on the road by the brilliant, blazing brightness of God's glory. And he met Jesus there on the road to Damascus. And his response to that encounter with Jesus was, what will you have me to do? And later, Paul writes, since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men also. We want to persuade others because the love of Christ compels us. In other words, we have to serve. It takes us back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where sacrificial, selfless service is the only right response. When you consider the great mercy and the love that Jesus Christ has poured out upon your life, in that He has made salvation now available to you and to me, The Apostle Paul writes, I just urge you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, this is your spiritual act of worship, to give yourselves in selfless service back to God and His people. During the early days of the Civil War, There was a Union soldier that was arrested on charges of desertion. And being unable to prove his innocence, he was 
condemned and sentenced to die a deserter's death. Well, he made an appeal, and his appeal found its way to the desk of President Abraham Lincoln. And the president had mercy on this soldier, and he wrote him a letter of pardon. And as the story goes, this soldier returned back to service and fought the entirety of the war and was killed in the very last battle of the war. They found in his chest pocket then this very letter of pardon that he had received from President Abraham Lincoln. You see, it was that letter of pardon that he held close to his heart. It was that, those words of mercy that inspired him and compelled him to serve till death. And I just simply ask you this morning, what does your pardon mean to you? Of what value are those words of mercy to you? Are they doing any good in your life? Are they compelling you to active, selfless, sacrificial service in the kingdom of God? Show me a person who is loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll show you a person who knows what surrender, sacrifice, self-denial, and service is all about. I ask you, are those marks evident in your life today? Let's pray. Thank you once again, Father, for this great privilege to be here as brothers and sisters in Christ today. Uh, Lord, we're not worthy of your great love and mercy that you have just poured out upon us. We know who we are. We're sinful. We're undone. We're unclean. And yet, you have called us to be your children. And Father, I pray that as a response to this, we would give our hearts and lives to you in wholehearted surrender, holding nothing back. Father, help us to understand that it is through surrender that we experience life and peace. And Lord, I pray that you would do your work among us. You know our hearts, you know our needs, you know uh, the trials and the challenges that each of these dear people are facing in their personal lives today right now, and I pray that you would meet their need, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would truly do his work, and that we would have hearts that are sensitive before you. And Father, we want to be, we want to be a bride that is pure and holy and without spot, without blemish, and a bride that is anticipating your return. So help us, Father. Help us to take your word and to obediently apply it to our lives. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.